My name is Paul Bayes Kitcher and I'm Artistic Director of Fallen Angels Dance Theatre. We work with people in recovery from addiction and mental health. Um, yeah, my background is um, I studied in classical ballet. I mean, I can go into that later. Um, but um, yeah, a general way, I'm also in recovery myself, long-term recovery from um alcoholism and heroin addiction crack addiction everything um yeah so we started a company called fallen angels and i'm really interested on how um movement can heal the mind um because i believe addiction and mental health is a physical and mental illness and we do a lot of work on the mind with therapy and groups and recovery groups and stuff not necessarily on the physical so we've developed a way of working over the last 12 years um that yeah that uses movement as a tool to rehabilitate and let go of the mind yeah so yeah so it becomes like a meditation yeah cool okay uh, so you started as a ballet dancer wow how did that come about yeah, I mean, yeah, I I used to go to a local dance school. Um, I, I used to sing, actually. I was more into singing. And um, we used to go around pubs with my dad, and I'd be like the front man, about eight years of age. And, um, yeah, and then I got branched off into – I saw Nureyev on telly, um, and I was like, wow, how can he jump that high? I was quite fascinated. So I went into – ballet lessons tap lessons everything and um my teacher said he should audition for the royal ballet school so i was like okay yeah so i just went with it and um yeah i i got through the first audition got invited back again second audition yeah i remember i had really bad flu um but yeah glandular fever that was it yeah and then but i i got a place and then i went i was there from the age of 11 at white lodge to about 16 um it was quite intense training it's like old school yeah really um yeah fierce training um for such a young age but they got results and then i went to rambert um at the age of 16 after training me for five years they said i wouldn't make it as a classical dancer um but i think uh, i was I was kind of um, a bit, I didn't fit into that mould as in, I, I was a bit naughty, should I say. There was stuff that was going on that they didn't know about, um, sort of trauma stuff that was was um, c kind of manifesting in different different parts of my learning and stuff. So, so yeah, so I, I ended up going to Rambert. Um, I was there for a year and then I went to Central School of Ballet and then my first professional job was when I was 17, 18, um, Vienna Festival of Ballet, where we toured, toured all around Germany and Switzerland, um, kind of thrown in the deep end. It was like you're on the road, you know, it was, it was good fun though. And then um, Scottish Ballet, I was there for 
four years. Uh, amazing company. Works with Peter Darrell. The Scottish Ballet was like a real family, and I loved that. Yeah, it was good times. Glasgow, loved it. And then I went to Birmingham World Ballet, uh, and I was there for like eight years. Uh, I was a soloist, but there was something in me that I wanted to prove the school wrong that I could get back into the company. Um, so I auditioned for Sad as well as Royal Ballet at the Royal Opera House, and I thought, oh, there's no chance I'll get in. And it was my friend that said, why don't you go and audition? So I was like, okay, why not? So I went down, I got invited back. There was four, four jobs. Um, there was about 100 people in the audition. And then I got a contract, but there's something that um, I want to prove in myself that, you, you know, even though I got knocked back at 16, I managed to work and get back into the company. Um, yeah, yeah. And we toured all over the world, worked with like um, directors. I've worked with like directors of Bolshoi. Um, yeah, we, we, we had some great teachers and toured all over the world, had some great, learned some great rep and then retired at the age of 30. And that's when I ended up in rehab. Um, and I was there for seven months uh, because, yeah, I mean, my kind of drinking and drug history was I started, I smoked, started, I drank when I was eight years of age, um, started drinking on and off when I was eight. And then when I was 13, I started smoking a bit of weed at the weekends, you know, like going up to Ladbroke Grove, not in Hill 13 years of age. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, when I left the Royal Ballet School, then we started experimenting with all sorts of drugs, um, you know, acid and speed, anything. We could get our hands on basically mushrooms, the lot. Uh, and then, yeah, that kind of escalated. But it took, a, it took a while to get to the point of, you know, when I was in Birmingham, I was like drinking a lot. I, I could never work out why I drank I couldn't stop drinking when I started and the same with using as well. Sometimes my drinking start on Friday and it goes through till Sunday, you know, like sometimes Sunday night as well. And I go in Monday morning to class, rehearse all day. Then we go out Monday night. I don't know how I did it like ease as well. Um, but yeah, the reason why I'm telling you that is because obviously that's, um, that, that was the foundation <laughs> um, for, like the, the starting of my recovery, you know, like all that pain and suffering that I went through, um, heroin addiction. I, I, I left Birmingham Royal Ballet, then I was smoking crack around the clock and just drinking bottles of vodka. And uh, I was just isolated. I was on my own, eight and a half stone. I had Yardies after me, which is Jamaican mafia, which is not good. Um, owed the money and um, then my mum put up the money for rehab six weeks and I was like I'm not going to rehab I'm going to six weeks god it's too long but I got there and yeah I thought my options had run out anyway I had no money I had people after me and stuff and yeah I was there for six and then I got a second stage and I was a Thurston house um in London so I was there for seven months and and I started using heroin towards the end got thrown out of there um and then started injecting and then all my veins collapsed in my arms. I was going in my feet. Yeah, you know, just horrendous, horrendous. Yeah, but yeah, and and then I managed to get into recovery. It took a few years, um, and 
yeah, started experimenting. I, I started teaching bits of, um, like, at first I started teaching. Um, yeah, in Northern Ballet School, I was doing, like, I went and taught a ballet class and they said, all oh, right, we want you for a bit. I was traveling for Bradford at the time. And then um, this was in Manchester. And um, then they wanted me like two classes a week. Then it was two days a week. And then it was like, we want you full time. I was like, great. So I moved to Manchester. I was in a bed sit. I had a black bin liner. That was it. Um, and it was quite frightening. You know what I mean? Being on your own in a bed sit thinking, what am I doing here? You know, didn't know anybody in Manchester. Mate just dropped me off. Didn't have anything really. Um, then went to recovery meetings and found fellowship. People that I connected with and and, and I had a you know a good few years there. That's where I met my wife. Um, we've been married. Uh, been together about sixteen years now. So, so yeah, um, and yeah, just started experimenting my uh, uh, with my own journey through movement and choreography and we did a little thing at the Lowry um, and there was a lady in the audience, Davida, and she said, would you, yeah, I was dancing it at the time. It's called my, uh, I think it was my name is, I can't remember, but I, I was dancing in it and with two other lads and there was a lady in the rehab said, would you like to come and teach in the rehab? I was like, wow, this is yeah, amazing. And I was thinking, what am I going to teach them? Because I, I hadn't developed those tools of, using cross art form so we I developed a way of working because obviously people coming into the rehab some of them from prison some of them heroin rattling off heroin some of them rattling off alcohol crack do you know what I mean so it was all different you know walks of life and you know addiction doesn't discriminate it'll get anyone um so yeah so we developed ways of working um like looking at cross art forms people's paintings people's creative writing and then drawing authentic movement out of what they were talking about so it's something that they could relate to we'd have a lot of fun yeah and and just the way they moved was really fascinating for me because i was like well everybody's got a story and i think the story some of that trauma is locked in the body you can see people how they hold themselves or how they See what I mean? It's just really interesting. Everybody's very different. And, you know, so we developed ways of working and they performed and it was just like incredible. Like the audience were, you know, people coming up to the performers afterwards, throwing their arms around and breaking down in tears and stuff. And I'd never seen an audience like that. And I thought, wow, we've, we've probably got something like that people can relate to people that have never had the opportunity to be introduced to theatre, never been in a theatre, never mind you know, like talking, um, creating or doing movement or, you know, things out of the comfort zone. So, yeah, and cut a long story short, like t 12 years later, we've got a uh, group in Chester, a group in Liverpool, a group in Bolton, a group in Lee, which is Wigan, a group in Salford, five groups, and they're really thriving at the moment. And, yeah, they're just incredible people. Sorry, I went on a bit there, didn't I? No, no, not at all. It's, it's fascinating. Thank you for sharing all of that with me. And I mean, to have to have experienced the life of a professional dancer at the age of 17, 18, that mm. also must have been like a really amazing experience, right? How, how did you find that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like there were some magical moments. Like I did some 
great roles. Like even though I was drinking and doing what I was doing, I kind of worked really hard because I'm extreme. Addicts are quite extreme. I'm like, I'm either doing 100 million miles an hour or I'm doing nothing at all. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's no balance. So I worked hard, so hard, put myself beyond the pain barrier to get to, you know, because like with ballet, it's, you have to be, it's full on, you know what I mean? Because it is very competitive as well. You know what I mean? It's like, you've got to stay on top of your game. And, um, but there was some fantastic, yes, I worked hard and played hard. And I think that they like me. I got some great opportunities. Uh, one of them was working with Kenneth McMillan. So Kenneth McMillan who choreographed Romeo and Juliet. I worked with him before he died and just phenomenal. I loved him. And, and he liked me as well and created roles on me and just things like that. I remember standing, um, there's one thing when I wasn't even in the rehearsal and then he called me and I was covering the corps de ballet. Then after that, he said, well, I want you to learn one of the soloist principal roles. So I was like fifth cast of that. And then I ended up doing first night, but I was like, I was standing on the, I remember just standing on the front line with him, holding his hand and the curtain, you know, and everyone's, you know, that first night. And I was just like, this is just like insane. You know what I mean? And he'd give us a big hug. You, you know, there's things like that that are just like, you know. Well, it's it's like the highest highs, right? Ah, uh, I loved him. He, he was he was really quite, you know, full, like in rehearsal, he, he used to mess me up. But he he was he was amazing. Yeah, yeah, high highest highs. Yeah, like you say. Yeah, the adrenaline, and I used to get like this fear was unbelievable. Like sometimes if I'd be doing like a principal role on the Friday on the Sunday, it'd be in me. Do you know what I mean? I'd be thinking about it already. Like say a, a three minute solo that you just, you know, technical and I'd get that because I didn't have any strategies of how to, you know, now I know breathing techniques and, you know, getting in the body and cause I'm, you know, we're more kind of somatic and holistic, but then I was just, it, this fear was just, it was horrendous, you know, but, but yeah, but amazing as well. Yeah, and, and and from that position that you describe as having that lived experience, when you're working with those who are living with addiction, that must be such an insightful place and such an insightful perspective for those people to then work with somebody mm. who's had that lived experience. Do Do many of the people that you work with or do you encounter, as you describe, functioning addicts, mm. those who still live the day-to-day from the outside may look like a completely normal life how many of those people that you work with are functioning addicts yeah i mean that's the thing with yeah there's quite a few people like have you know i've I've met all sorts of people that have had like high-flying jobs and you know and and you you know business people that are like yeah it's mad what you can sort of yeah it's like that double life isn't it and it's almost like with with me it was because it was like drinking drugs was the solution because i had this like void there there was this early childhood trauma that had been really that wasn't right and i hadn't really dealt with that um so it was like anything that it was like 
And I've done a lot of work recently with therapy and stuff. And it's like, I, I learned that I wanted to exile the body, like run away from myself. You can't run away from yourself. So how can you do that then? You, you numb yourself and anesthetize yourself so you, you don't feel anything or you you become a different person. And then you, so the drink and drugs are a solution. Then it starts working against you. And then, and then it's living in recovery. Um, you know, finding that thing, filling that void with something more purposeful. But yeah, there's a lot of people that, like yeah it, yeah i mean i mean i i don't want to say organizations but the, you know you'll find it thank you and and thank you for sharing that i appreciate it um once you've gone full time in manchester then is that when fallen angels was born were those the stepping stones the move into manchester that then led to the birth of the company and just to follow on from that how do you go about getting participants who have never moved before to, I guess, initially see the value in it and then to hopefully begin participating yeah. with you and the company? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, like the birth of, birth of Fallen Angels was when I started exploring my story and like I was invited to the rehab, but it was just like I, I had to, yeah, develop ways of working that people can connect with. And, and what I've found like over the years, because people say, how do you go into prisons and get people that are in there for life, young offenders as well, how do you get them dancing like and performing in front of everyone as well, like proper, you know, because especially in prison. Um, and, and I'd say that, you know, there is a structure in the, in, in the uh, process, but, I think the main thing is like if if you go in or, or or any any situation like when I go into any situation I always get a little bit of tiny bit of fear or anticipation you see what I mean and you go in and I think you you, you share from the heart do you see what I mean and if there's a certain vulnerability there then so be it it's all right because I used to see vulnerability as a weakness and you know, you have to kind of go in and you're, you know, you're, you're the leader and da, da, da. But I find if, if you're on somebody's level and they can relate to you, it's a bit like when you hear somebody doing a, a presentation, like w w when it's a polished presentation, I go, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. But when somebody speaks from the heart and maybe they str struggle a bit to get the words out or they... I'm like with them then I'm like thinking, wow, you, you know, there's some kind of connection. Um, and I think what, what I usually do is I go in and I, and I say a bit about myself and, and then I say, you know, I want to take you on this journey together. Um, and you, you know, you, you might surprise yourself, you, you know, um, so, so it's like showing a bit of kind of vulnerability and, um, because it's always like, I always go in like to try and give something rather than going as the, you know, like a ballet master going into the class and going, right, come on, do it. it, it it's the opposite of that. It's like, okay, well, I, I'm going to try and support you and we're going to, we're going to have this thing together. And, 
and then you go on this journey and, and we always start with a check-in in a circle like where people are at if people want to share something if they feel a bit self-conscious or you know a bit fear whatever it is um you know we have a little sharing sh- circle in the beginning then we'll start with some breath work so we start in silence so there's certain breath works that we do so that gets us into the into the body hopefully by connecting with the breath so you become still and then and then we start to um yeah start to move using the breath but also like my kind of um inherent like training um is ballet obviously so and there was a guy in lockdown he was 70 odd years of age tom he was in the army and he came to one of our sessions once 40 40 50 years sober but he had a breakdown breakthrough and he couldn't he was looking for something else so he came to our workshops and he he moved for the first time and when he moved and this happens a lot he broke down in tears uh, so physical trauma of the physical thing it released something in the space so so anyway he's been with us a few years now and when we were in lockdown we had a group on every day and he was like oh i've seen i'd really want to do some technique i've seen this guy do his first ballet exam and, uh, and i was like okay well what we'll do is we'll start looking at classical ballet as a structure like the the form and the enquire the phrasing and the aphasia and all that kind of openness and but we'll put it in a recovery language and use it as um, energy and how does this particular thing feel? Um, and that's been woven into the warm up, the, the kind of structures of classical ballet, the lines and the um, yeah different pathways. And you can use that choreographically as well, which is really interesting. There's endless possibilities. So when they're doing the warm up, even though they're doing the breath and the letting go and releasing and surrendering and opening up um yeah like physically they're opening up which is healing the mind but also like the muscle memory of movement they start to move and they start to find things um organically and then uh yeah so we do that and then and then um we do some structured improvisation which is about because because a lot of recovery is letting go of fear, letting go of yourself, letting go of pride, um, and getting almost like letting the movement go through you. So you have like a little bit of a structure, but once it goes, it creates this flow. And then once the flow starts, you're in the flow and you're not even thinking about what you're doing. It's just going through you. So and the mind is still and the body's just moving. And that becomes like a movement meditation after they've been doing that for like 20 minutes, they're in a state of like peace and balance. Uh, it's really powerful. Um, yeah, but we have lots of fun as well. We put on some drum and bass and we have all the old nineties tunes and you know, we let go of it as well. And yeah, yeah, there's a good, yeah, it's a good structure. Yeah. It's got, it's got a bit of everything in it. And then we, we have like, um, we we do bits of choreography as well um related to their own um journeys yeah but it, but it's always led by them yeah wow what an amazing story thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it wow other than the separate groups that you've described do you then like what's the process with 
moving participants into what you would describe as let's say a professional company working alongside professional dancers and how do participants feed into then the main cohort of dancers at fallen angels yeah yeah well there's like when, when people come into fallen angels after six weeks we say if you want to perform you can you're welcome to um so there's usually like a six week kind of settling in period um but um my dream was always to have a company with professionals we, we call them artists which are trained and recovery artists which are been trained by us that have had no proper training but but they've been with us a long time um and like yeah i mean i mean i'll just take for instance the recent thing faustus that we did um which was on the main stage at story house working with professional actors the first week we worked with our company um this kind of uh yeah, yeah we have this thing what when people get to a certain stage they're called recovery artists or supporting angels and supporting angels they support other one people coming through but also they're ready to take the, the next step and they some of them are paid performers as well which is fantastic and paid for rehearsals um and and they had a lot to do with the process of of faustus um and uh, also, we we recently did a thing with Nuno Orchestra in London, um, which we're going to be working at the Royal Opera House. We've got a performance on the 4th of November in the Limbury, um, and there's going to be a performance in Brighton and a performance at Chester Story House as well. And we're going to be working with a recovery orchestra. So they're all in recovery for mental health or addiction. Some of them professional musicians, some of them you know like us kind of just coming through and um our recovery artists um recovery artists are like all the people that will be performing will be in recovery some of them have been trained um but in recovery as well and some of them been just come to us on a weekly session like um tom who's the 70 year old guy um and yeah it's I think when people see our th our stuff, it's um, like even though the people that have been trained, there's not a big like when you see the piece, you don't look at the piece and go, "All right, he's been trained because he can get his leg there and uh, technical." You know, you see something as a as a company uh, uh, with with uh, some balance. Um, so yeah, yeah. So we have trained people we train them up we, we have paid performers and um yeah yeah i think that's about it i think yeah so faustus how did the idea for fallen angels to take that on come about yeah well um helen redcliffe who was the producer at story house we, we had a meeting with them um and susie susie henderson and um yeah that they talked about like doing uh producing something together fallen angels and story house first time we've produced something together and she she mentioned faustus and the seven deadly sins and when she said that i just kind of jumped at it because um yeah i love kind of making work that has something to do with connection with recovery um 
and part of the you know the story like she sells a soul to the devil um in this version it was a woman they're all women apart from one there was the devil which was a, a man and um yeah and this yeah the seven deadly sins is something that in the recovery process um like because I made a 12 step program step seven is um the defects of character and it looks at pride lust greed envy wrath all, all those kind of things that block the soul or kind of yeah um so I've done a lot of work on that personally and um yeah it, it just really stood out and something about her selling her soul to the devil and because I think when you're in active addiction you your soul is almost like taken I mean you see people and you know they it's not them it's like they're, they're being kind of taken over by this thing almost like not possessed but yeah it, it's not them that you know uh their behaviors manifest in different ways and it's like so powerful like so yeah there's a lot of synergies with addiction um selling your soul and also like she had trauma her mum was um drowned she gets drowned in the beginning so there's something about um the trauma that she went through and then she becomes like this person that becomes like addicted to um like learning and you know uh so, so there's loads of um yeah strands in it yeah so and that's the first time we've done something together and um yeah it, it was great it was great and I I did the movement for it and part of that process was uh working with some of the fallen angels lot to um feed into the process and it was great when they came to see the piece because they knew some of the moves like there was a, a bit of a fun bit in it where there was like this rave scene um yeah and and, and so it was quite modern and yeah it, it was it, it was good fun to do. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. How yeah. do you hold the space when supporting participants, let's say, if content or exploration may start to get too heavy or it may trigger something personally? I know that you mentioned Tom's reaction to the movement. Yeah. What's your support process as a company when working with participants? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, in the workshop, we'll have we'll always have a workshop assistant that's been trained um and also we have like supporting angels so say if i'm doing something and somebody starts goes out the room you know and starts crying or whatever something's triggered them or or they might have brought something into the space that they haven't dealt with um yeah usually person you know, there's two people that go outside and see if the person's all right and see if how we can support them. Either get back into the session or, you know, how can we like signpost people to different places? But usually what happens in the workshop, there's a lot of healing um, because people co usually come in with stuff like and they're quite, um, yeah, they've got lots of stuff going on. And you can see by the movement, um that they start to you know settle um and then by the end like because we have a check-in and a check-out so with a check-out 
it's back to the circle again. And we always say, you know, see if everyone's okay. And usually the feedback is, um, you know, they feel lighter and they feel energized and they feel more relaxed and, you know, um, but if anybody does feel like has a wobble, then we'll always um, sit with that person. And that could mean, I mean, so I think a lot of it is listening. Do you know what I mean? It's like being aware of people in the space. Some people might not even say anything, but you can see it in the body language that they're struggling with something. Um, so, and that's why we have a check-in at the beginning, just so I can monitor where people are at. And then if people need support, then we'll support them during the workshop. Um, and and then at the end, just seeing if everybody's okay at the end. Um, and a lot of the stuff we, like we um, kind of focus on in the workshop, it's all like solution-based. Most of it is solution-based. So it's always about light and hope and you know look, looking at the past but not staring at it using the past as a something that can you know they say sometimes your past is your best asset and sometimes like all the pain you know the pain that we go through it becomes like a purpose like without all that pain and crap that happened with me it you know maybe i wouldn't have been doing the work that i'd be doing now um so, so it's always looking at the, you know, the positives and, um, and yeah, yeah. Do fallen angels work with participants who are still using, or maybe at the very early stages of recovery? Um, the reason why I ask is obviously in the context of the the conversation and the work that your company does, um, but also because I've I've spoken to other artists who have described and, and shared previous outreach projects that they've mm. produced and worked on um and and one that particularly sticks out in my mind um after our conversation is um somebody shared with me that they were commissioned to do a project working with um ex-crack cocaine users in london um and they worked they had this series of workshops and they devised and made this project um and then after the showing of it they then found out that a large number of them or a number of them had then gone and actually reused. Mm. And they shared with me that deep sadness that they then felt that they had a part to play in that. Um, and actually it had the opposite effect as to what they were trying to achieve with the work. And that must be like... Mm. devastating right that must be the hardest thing to find out after you've spent so much time getting to know these people yeah and their stories Front line. yeah yeah um and from my own experience as well and another thing just to chuck in there is that there are different types of work for different stages of recovery um and i found that out very quickly when um we were commissioned to mm deliver some workshops at a mission, your typical kind of um, drop-in centre for addicts and those dealing with recovery um, in the stages mm. of recovery. Yeah. Um, and the work that we were trying to deliver was just unachievable because the stage in which the participants were at in terms of their own journeys of recovery were in no way 
ready to even begin just playing games and taking part in drama exercises because the chaos that surrounded their day-to-day lives there was no there was no ac- access point and actually that's when we made the decision along with the center to to withdraw from the project because we needed to reassess actually the value of the work that we were providing and was it the right provision at the right time for many of those participants and that just then leads me to kind of ask you where where is your entry point and do you work with people who are still using and are at the early stages of their recovery journey yeah yeah i mean there's always a worry there's always a concern i mean the thing is like we've we've looking at work i i, I think if yeah you've got to be really mindful of like if I was doing a workshop or if I was creating some work on people that were early stages of recovery and I was looking at crack use or do you know what I mean focusing on the the addiction that I wouldn't even go there do you see what I mean because if, if you're working with actors or something it's a different thing do you see what I mean but if you're working with people that have you know quite new in recovery um you know there's no way that i would sort of bring anything to workshop that would have the chance in fact i don't think i even mentioned drugs in the workshop do you see what i mean it's just um so yeah and, and we work with people that are sort of on a pathway to recovery so, so they, they might be on like methadone or stuff, but they are balanced. That, that there have been people that have come into the session, and they've been t- like gouching. You know what I mean? Off, and it's been too. So we've had to support that person. You know, take them outside, two of us, and talk to them and see how they are and see how we can support them. And you know, say you can't be in this workshop today because obviously it's the sa- safety of the group. Um, and that's somebody that's like, you know, like literally so obvious that they've had something. Um, and, um, yeah, I, th- I think like working in like the, the center that you talked about, you know, like working in those frontline places where it is chaotic, it is going to be really challenging, you know, um, because, you know, you're dealing with people that are just like, I can only relate to myself as well. Like when I was using, I was just like interested in just crack and getting money and da, 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 and, and that was it. I was like, so focused on that. So my life was totally chaotic. So f- to get me in a session and, and do a drama session or, a, you know, I'm going to be bouncing off the wall. My head is not going to be in it. Um, So that would be really, really challenging, but, you know we've had groups that have been like we've usually gone into rehabs and so they've been like towards we always say with our groups it's like on a pathway to recovery so so the people that should be in the session are the people that are almost ready to go i really want to change now do you see what i mean and i want something to work with people that are in the madness I don't know. 
honestly, I can't, you know, it's not that I don't think anybody could, it doesn't matter how qualified you are or, you know, if put me in that situation and I'd feel the same, I'd feel inadequate or whatever, but, but it's only because that, you know, they're, they're just leading chaotic lives. And if you've got like five people in the group that are chaotic bouncing off the walls, it's like, you know, there's no way. Um, and actually to, from what you've just said, has, has kind of opened up a new, um, a new point of perspective there for me is that what you're missing is the ability to reflect, right? Is that you're, you may be so insular or you may be wrapped up in so much chaos that you can't even begin to reflect on your behavior or your involvement, which is a very like, I don't know, as as you say, like you're affecting other people as well as yourself. Yeah. You know, you've got people that are paranoid that are fucking, you know what I mean? Robbing from each other. And that was me, by the way, I'm not judging, you know, they're like, you know, my day consisted of like, how am I going to get the drugs? And then when I've got the drugs, how am I going to get more? That was it. That was the tunnel vision. Um, so for me to engage in anything, it's like, no way. It's it's just not, uh, it's not possible. Um, you know, I, I mean, we have gone into like homeless places and, and I mean, I've gone in, what I usually do is I go in and I do a, like a, a talk and a presentation. And then, and then what I do is I'll pitch it. So I'd kind of scan the, the room and think, well, okay, we've got no chance here. So what I'm going to do is like maybe talk about stuff and how they can relate in some way. Um, and then, you know, there might be a couple of people that might come to the workshop that are ready to kind of make that step. But you've got to be careful as well, because if you're working with people that are on a pathway to recovery, and then you're bringing people that are still using into the group. It's not, it's not healthy. Do you see what I mean for those people? So, you know, it, it is, you've got to be really careful of kind of, you know, the safety of the group and stuff. Yeah. How do you feel seeing your work and your outreach be then turned into professional dance? Like you must be so proud of not only yourself, but the people that you work with especially in relation to like creating something so beautiful and encouraging people to experience that beauty through creativity. Honestly, like, yeah, it's, it's so admirable. It's, it's amazing. You must be so proud. Yeah, it it, it is incredible. I mean, we had like a performance last night and there's some people, you know, performing for the first time. Um, And, yeah, we had somebody there, the Lord Lieutenant of Cheshire, whatever, and she, she, she was saying that she always watches the audience, and I watch the audience as well to see, you know, what they're looking at, and and you can see people. Like, there's one le- lady that came up to me that works in a a, a drugs a frontline drug centre, and she was in tears. Um, and I'm yeah, just really proud when you see you know, people taking that step and because it's a massive thing, you know, that some people are going to be really frightened to get up and show some kind of vulnerability. Um, but yeah, when people have 
come through like people that have been with us for a few years as well it's um it's so powerful um where it's beautiful when you see them you know you know after a few years of the progression that they take and the quality of the movement as well and uh yeah it's just quite incredible especially the people that haven't been trained as well that that kind of rawness and yeah but you you have to develop ways of working with them because some of them find it very difficult to learn material like choreography so you have to have bits of choreography in it then bits of kind of structured improvisation of at this point we're feeling this and we're going to this point you know so it's kind of having the tools to be able to make it accessible for people so they're not like you know um stressing about it too much <clears throat> could i ask the transfiguration films which i want to say first oh yeah were absolutely <clears throat> beautiful like really really great pieces of work oh, thanks really enjoyed them so thank you for pointing me in the direction of those um in preparation for chatting today um who performed them how did they come about like how did that how did whose stories yeah. were those that were um, used? Well, there was three films. The first one was I Fall, which was about active addiction. Um, and we worked on that for two weeks intensively, and that was that was tough for me. Like you're talking about safeguarding, and you know, like you know, for me, I had yeah, it wasn't good because I've never focused on that for so long. Do you know what I mean? It was about yeah, you know what it's about, it's about like a kind of codependent relationship, the kind of using off each other and, you know, and the trauma and the torment and the chaos and all that. And when you're kind of delving into that stuff for two weeks, subconsciously it brings up a lot of stuff. Um, and that, yeah, I really like the kind of aftershock of that was, wasn't good for me. Um, but I mean, that's good to know because, you know, in the future, we probably won't do that again. Um, but yeah. And then the second film, I mean, we, we talked like with the writer, Eve Steele, um, you know, we chatted about different, um, you know, parts of people's stories. And it was like, well, I fall is active addiction. I need is about, you know, I need that. You know, sometimes when you first come into recovery, you've made that many promises and stuff that, yeah, you know, when you say things to people, they're just like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. And it's like th this guy, is, he is actually clean and he's trying to tell his mum and his mum's like, you know, we've been here before. So so it's the relationship between the mother and the, and the son. And it's looking at addiction from the other side of it, of how that affects other people. Do you know what I mean? It's like how our behaviors affect the people that loved us the most. Um, and it was beautiful because, you know, there was text, spoken word woven through to in the movement as well. Um, uh, so, so yeah, we worked with the writer Eve Steele. And, and then the, the third one was about this guy. Um, it was about all of us, but there was this guy that I loved to bits. He was one of our participants, Frank, He'd had a horrendous childhood, like unbelievable. And he was in Broadmoor. He was, you know, just in and out of psychiatric units and like 
just before we met him, he had to be chaperoned everywhere. You know what I mean? But he was this amazing character and he used to draw in the sessions and just took a shine to him. And he was like, he comes to the session, you're not fucking getting me in a leotard. You're not getting me dancing. Do you know what I mean? He was funny. But we had him drawing in the session and then he came along to the the main group and we had him drawing for a few weeks and then it was my wife's um, idea to have him in the performance drawing. So we did this performance of him drawing and then and then after that he he used to stand he used to be in the corner there drawing all this you know improvisation and drawing all this stuff and then he just took his shoes off and started joining in and, and he he had this amazing move incredible movement quality uh and then he started to perform and he could go to that place where you know the improvisation you could see that like the trauma that was in the body being released in the space and he had this amazing stage presence um and he unfortunately passed away um in lockdown um and he was really really special to us but one of his things was yeah so, so that was based around him it was like a a remembrance or a tribute or you know uh to honor his life and you know something about him being trapped in the flat on his own in his own head and he can't get out of the flat and the flat becomes you can't get out the door and the door becomes a metaphor for your mind so you're trapped behind the prison of your mind because it doesn't matter where you are you can be in the prison of your mind you see what i mean and it's like so so yeah and then eventually he gets out the door and then he comes to um one of the movement sessions and it starts to move and then it starts to breathe and then and then we had his poem at the end uh so that was really and that was we we rise because i i fall i need and we so the first two is i the problem me i and then the third one is we so like the community we need each other to recover to connect and grow um yeah so yeah it's really really powerful but that first film i can't watch it um i've seen it twice um and i can't i mean we got invited to the leeds film festival and my wife went and i just couldn't go um yeah yeah so you talk about like safeguard you know looking after the people but also you got to remember that yeah like I'm, I'm in recovery as well and it was like and that was like it just hit me that thing but but we've learned from it um so yeah it was a powerful three films but we took on a lot because we to do three films in that short space of time it was you know on reflection it was just too much um it, you know we did it and it was great and we you know for the budget that we had but we could have maybe done two max i think um it was a lot of work yeah thank you for sharing that and my condolences for your oh, yeah. in relation to frank yeah um yeah thank you for sharing that that must have been really really tough um how did you find choreographing work for film in relation to stage was there a big difference um yeah it was quite because yeah what you got to be aware of is like different camera angles and like different ca camera angles will show different energies it's like if you're looking at choreography from the side you might feel something different as if you're watching it 
from the front. Um, and it was quite difficult because, and also like you're in a rehearsal process, you've directed this thing and then somebody else comes in. And then somebody else comes and, in and directs it again. Directs right? it, yeah. And then they cut it and edit it. it. It's tough, do you know what I mean? It's really like, you know, so the first film, um, I, I think by like like the second film, because it's like any collaboration, especially when it's personal to you as well, um, you have to have like a really... I think a really good connection with the people that you work with and a good understanding. So where it's give and take the relationship, do you see what I mean? There's, but we discuss things rather than I'm the director, I'm coming in and that's what it is. Do you see what I mean? It's like, well, wait a minute, you know, let's talk about it. And, you know, and I think we, we got the balance right and it was great working with Dan. Um, he's a cool guy and, and the crew and everything. And, and, you know, the second film was more of an enjoyable time. We, we had more of an enjoyable time. And there was people in there, in that film, that were in recovery as well. And then the last film that we did was was just, yeah, brilliant. It was a real joy to, to do it and be in it as well because, um, yeah, because I think, yeah, Frank would have wanted that, uh so that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. But it was very different, yeah, because you've got all these crew people coming in and uh, uh, and setting up shots and then setting up the lighting and uh, and all this kind of thing. So, so yeah, it was it was very... I, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd say I learned a lot. Um, yeah, and it was... But the good thing about it, that you could do things again, you know, in a life of woman, one thing and that's it. And, and that's something beautiful about the live performance. But, but yeah, you, you, it's nice to be able to go, oh, well, actually that doesn't work and this doesn't work. And yeah. So were you working to a brief then? Was it a verbatim project? Um, like how did she, was it Evie that you said, how did she create the work? Yeah. I mean, like before, like we always, like maybe a couple of weeks before we usually have um, an R&D research and development where, we have our, you know, we, we have a group, um, our Fallen Angels group, and, you know, it's their voices um, that always thread through. So with the stories, they're all individual stories that are kind of entwined in. So there might be a bit of, you know, Frank's story coming through, a bit of Tom's story, a bit of uh, James's story. Um, Sarah's story, yeah. So she she will kind of gather information, take that, and then shape something. Um, but if if we'd had more time, I think I would have worked more, yeah, organically with people in the space, creating, working together instead of her going away, writing this script and then coming back. And do you see what I mean? I think things work better when we're all in the same space together. So if I'm making edits and stuff like that, it's not so much a shock when somebody comes in and doesn't know why we, we've done those certain things. Do you see what I mean? So it kind of works organically together. Um, 
yeah but but it always takes time doesn't it and yeah yeah it does it does take time and i think the more time you have the more detail you can go into and well the more time you have i've found the trickier it gets right because yeah. as a maker you, you're having yeah. to decipher especially within a devising process what should be kept what should go yeah can we leave bits open potentially for the audience to read into or interpret um yeah so what's next for Fallen Angels? What's on the horizon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the next big big thing is the Opera House and Story House and Brighton. Really looking forward to working with New Note Orchestra. I don't think that's ever happened, as far as I'm aware. You know, like a whole orchestra and um, recovery art dancers coming together and working on something organically. So we're going to go down to Brighton. We just got Arts Council funding, which is incredible. So. We're going to go down there and work something, yeah, some something to do with, uh, I think, rebirth, I think we're talking about. Um, and, yeah, we're also going to be doing something at Story House again. Uh, and it's going to be, hopefully, uh, we're going to have a play um, slash physical theatre piece um, called The Fallen Angel. And it's going to be a kind of, I, I love the film Kez, right? Kez is one of that, or book, the book as well, yeah. Um, and Train Spotting, Billy Elliot. So it's going to be, you know, kind of bit about my story, but other people's stories as well, like, it's going to go to places where, you know, the early childhood trauma. So it's going to be quite challenging and um, like the ballet side of it and then the, the drugs and then the, the recovery side of it. So we're going to be working with a writer soon, um, but it's going to be everybody's stories kind of weaved into one story. Um, and it's going to be like the fallen angel uh, journey. And I think that's going to be, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, you know, finding a writer that we can work with, a director as well, and, you know, casting it as well. So that that's the next, like, there's two big things there. Uh, and we're all, always doing, like, little performances up and down the country. Uh, yeah, so. How exciting. Yeah. How exciting. That sounds incredible. Right. I can't wait to host the work as well. Um, so I just want to say a big thank you for your time today um, and sharing not only your practice, but also your lived experience and just talking to me open and honestly, like I really appreciate it. And it really does mean a lot to be able to sit here and have a conversation with somebody um, so kind of passionate about their work. It's really inspiring and incredibly admirable the work that you do i think for any of us that are out on the front line kind of working with real people and we're a part of their lives like yeah my, my utmost respect and just thank you for sharing with me all of oh, the thank you stories and anecdotes i really appreciate that, you have, that. So thank yeah you for that. And thanks for making the interview um very comfortable and yeah no, no problem thank you that means a lot so yeah just like to say a big thank you paul for your time it's massively appreciated oh all thank you so much thank you Thank you.